Good morning, everyone. Thank you for that reading, Anne. Thank you for the introduction, Holly. So, as um, Holly said, we're going to be starting a new series on the Bible this week, looking probably for the next month or so at uh, Paul's letter to the Philippians. Um, so, like most of the New Testament letters, this is a fairly short text, but it has lots of clear teaching in it about the gospel and about Christian life. So we've just finished our series on Ecclesiastes, and this is probably a kind of balance to that uh, book. Um, there's a somber or serious book in the Old Testament, and we're going to move more to a part of the Bible here, which, as we'll see, is filled with a hope and joy that came from the new movement of Jesus and his disciples. So as we get into the Philippians today, let's think about the background of the letter and why it was actually written. It's always helpful to know that. Uh, as most of you will know, uh, in the years after Jesus' resurrection, uh, the early church became more and more aware of what we call their mission and their calling in the world, which was their need uh, to share the gospel everywhere and to bring more people to follow Jesus as well. And the man that we call the Apostle Paul was one of the most active missionaries in that time, and he went on a number of missionary journeys around the Mediterranean. Uh, and in many of the places that he stopped, he would start a new church uh, with the people who listened to his teaching and believed it. And you can read about those stories in the book of Acts in the New Testament. And when you read the letters, or what we call the epistles in the New Testament, um, it's helpful to read them alongside the book of Acts to understand more about the context in which they were written. So, if, for instance, we can read in Acts chapter 16 about Paul and his friends traveling through the region of Asia Minor and they received in a dream a vision of a man from Macedonia saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And so uh, they went that way and as you can see, if you look at the screen, this is a map of the Mediterranean, this is how they came uh, to the Roman uh, colony city of Philippi. Hopefully you can see it's up in the middle of the uh, top of the screen there. This is in Macedonia. And while they were there, they had a few notable encounters uh, with uh, particularly a couple of women who became Christians. Uh, they were thrown in prison, uh, but miraculously rescued. And Paul then moved on from Philippi, but um, as with the other churches that he started, he always kept trying to encourage them uh, to continue by visiting them again if he could or writing them letters. And so we have the letter that we're reading uh, as a record of that, one that he wrote uh, to the Philippian church later probably during the time that he was in prison in Rome, um, awaiting trial. He wrote a number of letters there. And a lot of the references to his personal circumstances that are made in this letter will make sense if you understand that's where he's coming from. Um, so I think that compared to some of the other letters to the, that Paul wrote to the other churches, Philippians is quite a positive letter. It's quite a, got a bright tone of it. There's not much going wrong in that congregation at that time. Um, and he's very encouraged by what's going on in the church, particularly their generosity. And uh, he tries to give them some inspiration to keep persisting in their faith, even though they hear things are hard for them sometimes. I think then that this letter speaks to all of us you know, who are normal Christian people in normal lives as the Philippians were and how we understand our faith. Now, as we look at this letter, we're not going to be reading the whole letter aloud in our readings in the scripture here. There are really uh, two sides to Philippians. So one is the kind of bit where there's the more personal, relational bits of it, where Paul talks about himself and he talks about his friends and the people in the church. And the other is the bit where he gives these sections of teaching and ideas to help them. So we're going to read, read from those teaching sections up the front, but bounce back into the rest of the story to help us as we go along. Um, so 
So overall, for me, I think the theme of Paul's teaching in this letter is um, to help the Philippians understand how to be or become the kind of people that they were called and created to be and as followers of Jesus. So as Holly says, I've called this series Shine Like Stars because he says to them in verse chapter 2, verses 15 to 16, that they should and they will shine like stars in the universe as they hold out the word of life. And this is probably the best known verse in Philippians. Um, and I think it expresses this theme of being what we're supposed to be or the theme of holiness. So today, as we've read, I want us to consider this first section from the letter. So chapter 1, verses 1 to 11. Like most of us, Paul starts his letter with a greeting. You know, when I think about the emails that I send to people, I usually try not just to get down to business straight away. I might start by asking the person, how are you going? Uh, how I hope you're going well. You know, you all do that, hopefully. Um, that sort of thing, this is called a salutation, and it's the way that you set the tone for the whole conversation that you're going to have. So let me read Paul's salutation to the Philippians from verses 1 to 2. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So you can hear what he does there. He describes who he is, who Timothy is, who the Philippians are, and what he hopes for them in those short sentences. So let's just think for a moment. Who are the Philippians? Who does he say they are? They are called, he says, God's holy people in Christ Jesus in the version that we read. But often, often this phrase is translated as the saints in Christ. So think about saints. I wonder what, you th what, do you, what does it mean for you uh, when you think of someone to be a saint or a holy person? I think there are two ways of understanding what that word means. Um, one way that's wrong, even if it's a common way, um, and another that's more correct, uh, more helpful. So the first idea is to believe that perhaps there are two kinds of Christian people. So there are normal Christians down here, and then there are the saints. You know, And the saints are special people who are far beyond us ordinary people. So they're, they're saints and we're not. Um, the second way, I think, is to understand, I think is more accurate, that all Christians us are called to be the holy people or saints. All of us are meant to be showing the Holy Spirit of God in our lives. And the only difference really between us is the volume at which that's shown in our individual lives and the extent um, to which we brought that presence into our lives um, in a visible way. So those whom we do call the saints of the church, so like Saint Mark, for instance, our church named after him, um, are just really those in whom we've especially seen this growth in holiness during their lives on earth. But we're all saints. Now, there's a big idea for this, a big, sorry, big word for this kind of idea, which is called sanctification or becoming a saint or becoming a holy person. It's the process of becoming a holy person. And so sanctification is the journey um, upon which holy Christian people enter to become more like God more like they're supposed to be. It's a journey of growth into holiness, to shine like stars in the universe, as Paul says. And I think this process of sanctification is, I believe, the theme of Philippians and of Paul's teaching here. And I think we'll think more about that in a moment. So a key verse then in this passage for us in the preamble to this letter, which Paul gives us in uh, verses 3 to 11, so after his salutation, he kind of lays out the themes of his letters to come. Uh, for what, and what the letter will achieve. So the key verse here is verse 6, where he says that he will pray with them with joy, being confident of this, 
that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So this good work that he's saying, I think is another way of saying what I've called sanctification, becoming holy. And that began when they first had faith. And it will be completed, he says, in the future, at the time of judgment or the resurrection. But they're in between those two times now, between when it began and when it will end. And that's the time of their sanctification. And that's the time that we are in as well, in our own lives. So this preamble section from verses 3 to 11 has, I think, two different parts to it. If you do have a Bible, I'd actually encourage you to read along or to scroll along in your app, just so you can read and see too. Um, So the part finishes with Paul telling them his prayer for them, what he hopes and his prayer for them will be in verses 9 to 11. And in verses 3 to 8, leading up to that, he says why he's hopeful and confident that that prayer will be answered. And what he prays for them, I think, is for us what we can carry with us as a definition of sanctification or the full description of what it means. So in verses 9 to 11, he says... This is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory of God. So, you can hear what what he's praying for. Abounding love, knowledge and depth of insight, discerning what is best, being pure and blameless, being filled with the fruit of righteousness. That, these things are what being holy means. That's his prayer. And why is he confident that it will happen? Well, because he says because it already is happening in them. In verses 3 to 5, he talks about how they've been with him, he's seen them in partnership in the gospel. He's seen their good works, he's seen their generosity, he's seen their holiness. And and as we said, that in verse 6 to 8, he says he is confident that God's grace is going to be working in them. And he can feel it and see it in the love they have for each other and for him. So I want us to look again for a moment at this prayer in verses 9 to 11 and think more deeply about how sanctification actually works, about how it happens, because I think this is what Paul goes on to describe for them over the coming chapters. Uh, when we, when we, I think when we want to enter into any learning process or growing process, it's, healthy, it's good to understand how things work. So if you want to eat healthily and become healthy, you need to know how your body works, don't you? You need to know how different foods affect it and what to eat. So if we want to grow in holiness, it's helpful, it's helpful to understand and think about how does holiness actually grow in a human being? What's the process by which it happens? And I think if we look at what Paul says in this prayer, we can draw out what we might call a cycle of sanctification or a kind of feedback loop that enables people to keep growing in this process. And so I think that for Paul, it's not a complex diagram, I think that this cycle of sanctification, there's a sort of loop in the Christian life between knowledge and love or love and knowledge. So Paul says in This Is My Prayer that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depths of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless. It goes from love to knowledge to knowledge to love. So I think when he says love here, it means this kind of active goodness towards other people, seeking their best, working for that, being pure of heart and pure of action. As we do that then, Paul would say, our knowledge of God and who he is, our clearness of vision, our understanding of the gospel, it grows. As you love, you know. 
And this better knowledge that we have of God then leads to being like him and abounding more in love for others. It's therefore a kind of ever-deepening cycle of knowledge of what is good and right. You can see it's a kind of positive spiral, a cycle of growing in holiness. As we love, we know God. As we know God, we grow in love. Um, Sometimes I think we think about head knowledge uh, as Christians and feelings and we kind of separate them from each other. You might be someone who has an intellectual approach to your faith. That's sort of where I've always come from things. You want to learn more information about the Bible. You want to learn information about God and how to understand him. Or you might be more feelings person. You might say, I just want to love people the way Jesus did. I don't really worry too much about the details. Um, But I think Paul teaches us true holiness and sanctification is a change of your whole person, your mind, your heart into the mind and heart of God. It's a process by which we continue to grow in this cycle. And this will come up much more deeply next week when we look at chapter 2, what Paul says about Christ himself. Um, But I think in the rest of the chapter 1 of Philippians, I think Paul gives himself or starts to give himself to the Philippians as an example of this cycle of sanctification and how this growth in holiness will change someone. Because fundamentally, Paul says to them, because of his growth in knowledge of God... He is now able to interpret everything in his life according to how it promotes the gospel of Jesus and how it benefits others. Because of his knowledge of God, which is growing, he now puts everything into love. So in verses 12 to 14, if you read on from where we finished, he talks about how he's in prison now. But what he sees um, is that this apparent problem, I'm in prison, with the knowledge he has, he sees that it's really just meant that he's been more effective in sharing the gospel. And because he's been an example to the palace guard there, he says. And he's also been able to encourage lots of people in their faith during that time. And in verses 15 to 18, he mentions there are problems of other teachers who might come to their church who don't have good motivations for sharing the gospel and they're probably putting Paul down when they visit. Um, But he doesn't care about that as long as they're in fact preaching the gospel and people are being helped because he knows what is true. He loves what is happening. Um, And of course, in verses 19 to 26, which uh, many people uh, love about this this, um, book, he talks about how even the prospect of death isn't really a big deal for him anymore because he knows that he'll be with Jesus if he dies. Benefit. But if he doesn't die and he stays alive, then he have more opportunities to show love um, and encouragement to them and other believers as well. So what we can see is this cycle of sanctification or this holiness has, in Paul's own life has broken him free from the concerns um, with his own life situation, with his own ego and even with his own death. He is now just pressing on with what God has for him to do in this moment, which is to grow more like him and like Christ. And that's why we think we call him Saint Paul. He's shown us that process in his own life. So as we start looking at this letter today, I think that we're encouraged to understand for ourselves the path of our future as Christian disciples, if that's what we are. The beginning of our faith is the start of a good work that God begins in us, and he intends to carry that on to completion. And that involves bringing us in, inviting us, and leading us into this cycle of sanctification where, under the influence of the Holy Spirit, we learn more and then we love more. Then we love more and we learn more again until the day when we shine like stars in the universe. And I think we should have the confidence that Paul did, that God will do this in us if we 
participate with him in that process. If we open ourselves to it until the day of Christ, when he finally transforms us into what we were truly made to be. So this will be our journey for the next few weeks, to look more deeply into that cycle. Then we pray, then we're going to spend some time in response to what we've just heard. Lord, I want to thank you for this message today, the, the vision of our lives, the calling of holiness to shine like stars in the universe, not through our own goodness, our own inherent um, achievements or purpose, but through a process by which you transform us into what we're made to be. I pray that all of us would be gripped by your spirit today, to be led deeper into love, abounding more in, in knowledge, in depth of insight, so that we can become who we are supposed to be in Jesus Christ and we pray that he would lead us on this process and we thank you for those who've gone before us and show us the way. So we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.